Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hello and a very warm welcome to The Offside Rule We Get It, brought to you by Continental Tyres. Season 3, episode 20. I can't believe we're in the 20s already. And to celebrate, we've got a special guest with us today. Hayley McQueen is sunning herself somewhere in Greece, I gather. I don't know how hot it is out there at the moment. And instead, we've got Joe Tong with us, who's uh, joining us, exec producer and talent agent. And I think she'll be a very interesting guest. Joe, hello. Hi, no pressure then. <laughs> no, basically. Uh, Lindsay Hooper joins me as well. It's a chilly morning today, Lindsay. It is, it is. I've got all my layers on. This is my big chunky jumper just for Joe, um, just to be indoors and all cosy. Uh, we're at the halfway point of the season. Absolutely bang on halfway. So thank you very much for joining us. We're also joined by Theo, Joe's dog. He's beautiful and he's currently being given a good old scratch by Lindsay Hooper. Can I just say that he's not called Theo after Theo Walcott, <laughs> as I am a season ticket holder at Spurs, but he's called Theo after the Leighton Orient mascot. So so why have you named him Theo after the Leighton Orient mascot? What's the link? Um, my dad's a massive Leighton Orient fan, grew up in Leytonstone. So, uh, yeah, Leighton Orient's kind of my... My real football club. I always say when I have kids, they can come to Spurs as a treat, but Leighton Orient will be proper football. They'll go and learn proper football at Leighton Orient and they can come to Spurs as a treat. Up the Orient, eh? Uh, In today's show, we're going to be having a chat to Jo about what she does and her experience of being a female producer and a high-level producer in the world of football. Uh, Also about some of the people that she manages as well, some of the interesting football personalities that she uh, deals with in her daily life. We are going to be talking FIFA and David Ginola. It was announced last week that he is launching a bid. He's teamed up with Paddy Power, launching a bid to uh, try and oust Sepp Blatter from the presidency of FIFA. Good luck, David Janella. I'm not quite sure how disingenuous this is or whether it is completely serious. He gets my vote. Can I vote? He gets mine. <laughs> Lindsay Hooper told me earlier that she's got a photo of David Janella in, <laughs> in her wallet. No, not in my wallet. No, no, no. That, uh, okay. That's, that's fabricated. Okay, fine. Uh, that she can't bear to get rid of. What it is, it was a front cover of a magazine that I read, but he looks so beautiful in it, I can't bear to throw the front cover away. So I've recycled the rest, but kept the glossy front cover. Well, it'll definitely look better than Set Blatter, but will he do a better job? We'll be discussing what we would do if we were taking over the presidency of FIFA ourselves and the changes that we'd bring into the organisation. Can I just say here as well, Joe? I hope you've got some funny ones because I've got, I'm going to go on my soapbox massively and usually our third topic is something quite fun. But I, I really, I'm just going to go to town. I think I've only done funny ones because FIFA to me is a joke. Yes. So mine are, mine are all, mine are all... Like there we hearted. are. We'll, we'll even out. We'll even out. So Joe and I will do funny answers to, to break up Lindsay's uh, aggro yeah. towards FIFA. Uh, you can listen to us via Audio Boom. Download us via iTunes. You can check out our YouTube channel, The Offside Rule TV. Catch us on Twitter, where you'll find regular score updates for the main games on. Uh, you'll also find plenty of gossip transfer news on there as well, at Offside Rule Pod for that. And OffsideRulePodcast.com, our website. So keep an eye on the podcast website. Lots of exciting things and new bloggers joining us as well. There's currently a David Ginola exclusive interview on there that uh, Jamie Thomas, one of our bloggers, got. So check it out. The female take on football. 
Let's head in to topic one, troubling times. Football fans, they're never shy of making their feelings known, are they? And that's why we love them. Uh, whether it's Arsene Wenger being booed onto a train, whether it's QPR players grappling with fans, whether it's Man United fans chanting attack, attack, attack at frustration at Louis van Gaal, you're never shy of making your feelings known. So I'd like each of us to choose one Premier League team whose fans have the most right to be disgruntled, in our opinion, and tell us why. Lindsay, I'm going to head to you. Heading straight to me, and you might be a little surprised with the team that I'm picking and the fans that I'm picking, but I will explain why. I'm going for Swansea City fans. I think they have the most reason right now to feel disgruntled. Not only the result against Chelsea, quite recently, where they lost 5-0, but also the fact that they've lost Wilfred Bonney to Manchester City, their star striker. And can a team of Swansea's level afford to lose some of their star names? There's more to come with that in just a minute, but let me just first of all talk and make a comparison with Ronald Koeman at Southampton. Because Gary Monk, I think, is in a brilliant job at Swansea, but is he the sort of manager equipped to deal with big exits? like Bonnie going to Manchester City. I don't know whether he is. Ronald Koeman managed to be able to lose a lot of uh, the big players from Southampton in the summer and replace them ably. But I think Swansea City, especially as well being out in Wales, I think attracting players can be quite difficult. Location is important. That's why, you know, we see the London clubs do so well and clubs in the North West. It seems to be the major hubs of football for the Premier League. So they seem to be easier in terms of recruiting players. So I think he's got his work cut out. The one thing that he does need to do is hang on to Gomis. But there are big rumours. So I don't know whether you've been on the internet recently, but it's looking like uh, Bafatimbi Gomis is actually looking to move away to Arsenal. Not only that, he's the one forcing the move. So it's coming from the player, apparently more or less holding the Welsh club to ransom, if reports are to be believed. That's a player that Gary Monk needs to keep happy, needs to keep at Swansea. So I think that's a, a cause for concern. But if you are a player like Boney, Monk cannot compete with Pellegrini. Monk, Swansea cannot compete with Man City. Swansea cannot compete with Arsenal. You know, a club like Swansea, they've done very well to, you know, they attract, they did attract Boney in the first place. You know, he did come from Europe, came from Vitesse, and I think he'd scored 33 and 20 goals in a season for them. So, you know, he was an informed player and Swansea managed to attract him. They managed to get Gomez. So they are attracting the, the players. Teams like Swansea have to realise... They're kind of almost our feeder clubs. So as long as that twenty-eight million for Boney goes back back into mm. finding the next Boney, mm. that's that's the standard you're at. I think as you know, you're not going to be a champions. Swansea are not going to be a Champions League club. But a player like Boney, who's scoring that amount of goals, wants to go to a Champions League club. You can't you can't compete. But I suppose the point being that from a fan's point of view, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter the fact that. OK, you're, you're trying to give the reality check of the fact that perhaps teams like Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, they're always going to dominate. They're always going to get the, the players from teams like that. Let's face it, even Spurs, who I know that you're a fan of. But in a season where you've seen teams like West Ham and Southampton overperform, what I'm saying is a team like Swansea, who have been doing well at the moment, the fans will be thinking, why aren't we pushing for that? Why aren't we pushing for the European spots in terms of Europa League? Why aren't we pushing? to finish top eight, top ten. Because for the second part of this season, 
if Gomez goes as well as, as Bonnie, I think Gary Monk's going to struggle in terms of in front of goal, getting goals. We might see Swansea, OK, yeah, they're safe. They're not going to go down. But what do the fans want next? Another point to mention is Wayne Routledge, injured. He's got injuries coming up too. I just feel like if I was a Swansea fan right now, looking down the barrel of the next six months or less than six months to the end of May, half point of the season, I'm thinking, well, all the fun has been and gone and happened. I would just say they better hope they have a good next two weeks in the transfer window. Yeah. They've got 28 million to spend. Yeah. So, Joe, which fan wouldn't you want to be? Um, I currently wouldn't want to be an Aston Villa fan. I mean, if you're a Villa fan, what is there to look, what is there to be excited about? Even if you're, like, you say you're a Swansea fan, and for the last six months they've had Boney to go and go and watch and be excited about. As a Spurs fan, we've had some terrible times, but there's always been a player that I'm excited about going to watch. Last season, Villa had Ben Teke, who was exciting to watch. Delph, maybe. Who are you excited about at the moment? I think Benteke scored three goals this season. You know, what, what is there to be fun about? And, you know, in the, the old, I say the olden days, five, five six years ago, Aston Villa, under O'Neill, they, they came, I think, in the top six for three successive seasons. They had some trips to Wembley. They were in the League Cup final. They had an FA Cup semi-final. You had a day out as a Villa fan. What kind of days out are you getting as a Villa fan at the moment? And I just feel, you know, with all the, you know, Randy Lerner coming out last May and saying, right, I want to sell the club. I just feel that they're just at this stagnate, like nothing's happening at the club. Well, there is a point. Who is going to buy Aston Villa for the price tag he's put on the club if they're in the championship? Exactly what I was going to say. So he's saying, OK, I think he said 200 million. Now that's suddenly dropped to 100 million. Well, give it five months, Andy. (laughs) I think we're looking at, I don't know, 50 million. I mean, you know, it's... I don't, understand, I don't understand why you can't sell a club like Villa. It's, it's such a traditional... It's like, I mean, I have the same with Sheffield Wednesday. I, you know, it's, they're there to me are still big clubs. And, I mean, the, the fan protest they had last week, actually, as a fan, I'd be annoyed at the other fans. There was only 150 of them that made the protest. There was all this fuss in the press and Lambert was commenting, it, commenting on it in his um, post, pre-match presser and saying, oh, I don't think it's good... There was only 150 of them, that, so they can't even do a protest right. It's like, you've, you've, you know, your, your team can't do anything right, but your fans can't do anything right either. Now, what I think is a shame about Villa is they always used to be the beacon club in the Midlands, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And if you look at where the Midlands clubs are now, Villa's in a sorry state. West Brom's um, not in a great state at all. They've not, <laughs> not always been the beacon club. Um, if we went back to the 1950s, um, before Lindsay was born, in Lindsay's grandpa's time, uh, Wolves well, were the big club okay but in our in our lifetimes Villa was the big club and yeah I I mean I think you can extend that to all the clubs in the Midlands none of them are really standing up and and making a point Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to plump for QPR not for the obvious reasons I know everyone's quick to kind of turn on Harry Redknapp and there was the story in the mirror last week about how if he lost the game against United then his job was in danger to which Redknapp uh, replied that there was an insider in the club and someone was out to get him which I thought was a little bit sinister I have to say so I've got slight slight suspicions about that but why I would be disgruntled as a Queen's Park Rangers fan is I remember when they had a certain charm when they're in the Premier League 94 95 around then I used to go and watch them when when they when they played Liverpool used to go to Loftus Road with quite a few of my mates who lived in the northwest London area lifelong QPR fans it was charming. Yeah, it was a little bit rough around the edges, but it never had any of the animosity that, that Chelsea did. Fulham was always a nice homely club and QPR, just, just, it just felt safe. It just felt like a nice, genuine, charming place to go and watch your football. It wasn't always pretty, but it felt nice. I just think they've lost their way a bit. 
I think money's come into it, you know, whether you're talking about the Bria Tory, Eccleston era. Um, Tony Fernandez seems like a nice guy. He does a very good job of convincing everyone that, that he's a very nice guy. I just think it's lost, lost a little bit of something. I think if you look at their squad and you look at the players that Harry's brought in, mm. it looks like a squad of people that are there for a payday. Mm. You tell me one of those players who genuinely wants to play for QPR and isn't there for either Harry or his payday? Well, I would say Charlie Austin. Yeah. Um, who's, who's the one who's had all the success this yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, there are a lot of players, I, I understand what you're saying, there's a lot of players that are either on a second chance or going towards the end of their career, big money. Um, Tony Fernandez, as well as the, as the owner, you, you've got to admit that he's got other things on his mind at the moment. Look yeah. at his company, he's got a lot of things going on. If you look at the turnover of managers there, now, OK, Redknapp's been there for, what, two or three years now after Warnock Hughes. Redknapp came in to kind of settle things a little bit there. And I get your point about players being there for a payday. But when players like Clint Hill, Richard Dunn, Leroy Fur are getting involved with altercations with your travelling fans, you know, fans who've travelled to come and watch you, travelled to Burnley to come and watch you play, and you're tussling with them afterwards, that doesn't spell a happy picture to me. That, those are not happy fans, are they? They're not happy fans, but that almost inspires me a bit more that the players do care mm. yeah. because then they're not running off and hiding. And, you know, I've got a client at QPR, so I, you know, I'm, I guarantee, I mean, he does care. He genuinely cares and he is genuinely distraught at the moment by, by their results. And, you know, it's kind of, they, you know, they, he can't understand what's, what's going on because they have, they've got great players. They've got really good players, but it's just not coming together. But when, when the players were having the altercation with the fans, I actually thought, good for you. I finally, you finally showed me a bit of passion there. Hi, I'm Phil Thompson, and you're listening to The Offside Rule. So, Joe, rather than hurling 20 questions at you, even putting it out to Twitter, Linz and I just thought we'd have a quick chat to you instead. I want to talk about your footballing pedigree, because actually you're from quite a large family, and quite a lot of you involved in football as well. Yeah, so I grew up um, in a very sort of football family. If you didn't know anything about football, you you were left in silence at the dinner table, so you had to brush up pretty quick smart. Um, so my dad worked in the industry for, for years. He still does. Um, he was... He's been a journalist, football correspondent for lots of papers, um, written a lot of, lots of books. He was a football exec at the Beeb for quite a long time. And then my brother is the sports editor um, of lots of various sporting magazines, he worked for the International Athletics Federation for a while. Um, and my sister is a nutritionist and um, Pilates PT, so she trains lots of my clients and advises them on their nutrition and trains them in Pilates. And you're an exec producer. In fact, you worked at BBC uh, mainly on the radio for uh, many years producing. What was your favourite gig there? My favourite gig, I think, was the Right and Bright show because it was the it was my first job. Um, so I was brought into the Beeb um, through BBC Talent, and I was brought in to write match reports. So I had it, not a dull job at all, but it was very it was quite monotonous. Mm. You know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays, I, I was writing match reports. And then I used to sit in the office when uh, Mark Bright and Ian Wright came in and they were the first footballers to be given a football show. And um, they just asked if I'd come and help on a Saturday. So I used to go in every Saturday and I was just effectively the runner. Um, But then we used to have a a feature at the top of the show, which was called uh, Rant Rant or Rave. And it was whether Wrighty was ranting or raving. And I ended up sort of writing, you know, writing this with him every week. And that was my first introduction into script writing and um, production. And yeah, it was my first, my first gig on a live show. And it was just such fun. I and mean, we just had 
they obviously had access to everyone. So we, you know, Beckham was on one week, Gerard was on another week, um, Michael Owen was on another week. And um, and they were new to it and, it, you know, there was quite a lot of buzz about it because they were the first footballers. It was, I mean, this was 15 years ago. They were the first footballers to be, you know, presenting a show. Just them two. We said it wouldn't take long until Baby Arthur made an appearance on the podcast. He may be heard in the background, just so you know, because he's in the room. Uh, he's been so good, so, so good. Yeah. But we might hear the odd murmur, hadn't we, Kate? <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm, I'm just desperately trying to quieten him down. <laughs> well, we don't mind. He, he's, he's got a good pair of lungs. He'll be a good football fan for the future. Well, Joe, I wanted to ask about another side of your business now, which is being a football agent. Um, we, I think we have a view of agents, you know, and, and I know you, you're lovely. <laughs> um, but I have this image in my head of agents wheeling and dealing. And I just wondered how, how that came about and whether you're having a new approach to it all. You think I'm lovely because you've never done a deal with me. Yeah. That's probably why. Um, yeah, so that came about, I was, I was producing at the Beeb. I'd, I'd been doing sort of TV for five years and um, did, did radio sort of on and off for, for five years as well. And... Um, I would just ended up, I was, I was talking to a lot of the footballers that I was producing about, you know, when they were coming to the end of their careers and what they were going to do. And I was starting to advise them on, you know, how to get into the media and, and what they should be looking to do. And um, so a couple of the players just said to me, look, would, would you mind being my agent? And obviously, I mean, I had, I had no experience of being an agent, but I just thought, well, how hard can it be? It's just common sense. You, you have a client and you work out what they're good at and you work out where they might sit in the industry or what they should be doing while they're still playing to get themselves a foot up in the industry and you advise them and then because I'd been on the other side so obviously as a as a producer and an exec I'd been booking players for for programs so I knew what the market rate was and I had contacts so it just kind of made sense to me and you know in fairness in fairness to the players they put a lot of trust in me and it's just grown and you know it's, it's quite I just saw a niche in the market in that football, football agents, straight football agents, are not as experienced in the world of media and p- possibly in the world of commercial. And also, you know, what players should do when they, when they retire. So, you know, I've got, I think half of my clients now are current players and half are, are ex, ex-pros. And I just advise them on what, what they can be doing to put themselves in a position so that when they do retire, they're experienced, they know what they're doing. And also just on which different platforms they should be going on. Not everyone is going to present Match of the Day. Not everyone should be on Match of the Day. Not everyone can be a co-commentator. Not everybody can sit in a studio and be a pundit. Not everyone is, is right for brands. Not everyone kind of gets that whole corporate world. So there's there's lots of different areas that you, you can explore and it, it's just a growing market. Do you think that could end up taking over what you do? Because you look at some of the, the deals that go on and if you get the right people on your books, I, I imagine it could completely be your income and, and that's it all sorted. Yeah, I mean, it, it did. And for sort of the last two years, I was still working as an exec. I was still producing sort of three, two, three live shows a week and working with 10 clients. And it, you know, it gets too much. So this year, I've sort of taken a step back from the producing um, and I'm concentrating more on the agency because it's just such a growing area. And if you have that many clients, they do need, you know, I've, I must I'll probably get 150, 200 emails a day of various requests. And obviously, you know, you're not acting on all of them, but I, w- I wouldn't like to ignore any of the requests. I still like to, to go back to people and if it's something that we can't help them with, explain why. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely at the moment that that's the growing area and the exec producing. You know, I still oversee programmes. I, like I still like to keep my hand in because I still love the buzz of a live show. But I also get a buzz when I see a client do really well for it. So, for example, Eniola Luco. <laughs> Thank you, Theo. 
And I Luco, who plays for um, Chelsea in England, she was the first female pundit on Match of the Day too a couple of months ago. And I was like, I was just the proudest person on earth. A, she was amazing. She did brilliantly. B, you know, she'd, it was just, it was such a landmark and it was something that I'd been working towards for about two years. I'd been saying to, to the BBC and to programmes, you need a woman on, you need a woman on. She plays, she plays in the Premier League, she plays for Chelsea, she's an international, she's got 80-odd caps. She knows her football, Theo. She knows her football, you know, she's, she's got something to add. And then when it finally, it finally happened, I was, you know, I got the, exactly the same buzz as I would from producing a live show to a million people. It's all going on here. Theo's barking, the baby's out, the chainsaw's on outside. Suddenly it's a hive of activity. Um, you're on the board in women in football, and that's something that I know you're incredibly passionate about, as we are, you know, offering women opportunities in football and trying to break some ground there as well, as you've done with Eni, and Eni's a big a big friend of the podcast. Um, talk to us about your work in women in football and, and whether you think it's becoming easier or do we still have a long way to go? I actually feel really positive about where we're at at the moment. I mean, women in football started seven or eight years ago, and the reason it started was... Because there's a thing. So I, age 21, would walk into a press press box or a press conference. And I'm, you know, you'll know this exactly. And I didn't know anyone. People, people would sort of look you up and down. They were very suspicious of you. Or they just thought you were the tea lady and you worked at the club and you were there to give them a cup. I mean, you know, literally. Yeah. And so the reason that it was just a networking thing so that when you walked into a press room, you had someone to just nod at and kind of go, you're all right, how was your week? Someone to sort of chat to when you're making that awkward conversation because it is sometimes in the press room. When you're, when you're new to it, you don't know anyone. And, and what the aim is that when there's new young people coming through, they're not put off by that because it can be very scary. When you're in a press conference, you know, you have to put yourself out there and you do have to ask difficult questions if, if you want to be taken seriously. Um, and it can be quite daunting if you're in a room of 50 men who've been in the business for 20, 30 years to ask questions. So it's just a support network. But actually, I feel at the moment we're in a really good place. There's so many more women working professionally. My concern with that is that we brush over the issues and there's lots of women suddenly appearing for the sake of suddenly appearing. And as long as, as, long as we're careful of, about that and as long as the right women are promoted for the right reasons, then I think it's, it's a really good time. But I do like the fact that it's in the conversation. You know, seven years ago, women in football even, we were a sort of underground network and we didn't come out publicly until the BBC did a documentary on us two or three years ago because, I mean, it was, it was actually just to, to protect the sort of um, the nature of it so that people could speak freely and people were comfortable. But actually, I feel... Now it's something that you're quite proud of and, you know, you're sort of proud of the positive action and it, it's, it's quite normal to have a conversation about sexism and it's quite normal to have a conversation about the issues, whereas seven or eight years ago, you know, people would say to you, well, what, what are you moaning about? Get on with it. And now actually we're, people, people are coming around to it. So we had, we had men, um, we did an event at Wembley a couple of months ago and we, we invited men because actually what you realise is they're the people that need to learn and they're the people that we need to be educating. And once you involve men in the conversation, they go, oh, right, I get it. I, I understand how hard it was for you. I mean, just, just down to stupid things like what you wear when you go to a football game. What, you know, there's like a uniform. We also have uniform, like high black, you know, black, high neck, flat boot, you know, flat, flat shirt covered up as much as you can cover up. And it's not what I would wear to work normally, but suddenly I'm conscious of it when I'm in that environment. Well, what, why should I feel conscious of it? I should just go dress, dressed as myself. All right, Joe. we'll wrap up this chat with um, maybe a funny anecdote. How about your funniest moment as a football agent? So lots of funny moments, uh, lots less 
less funny moments I can share publicly. However, um, there's one story that always makes me just smile to myself. So I had a client that had been playing abroad and he'd come back to do some work in the UK and literally landed and came straight to my office and um, we're having a conversation and we're talking about arrangements. And I said, right, give me the number, you know, give me your mobile number you're on in the UK. And I've got, you know, and he said, oh, I haven't got a phone. I was like, okay, well, you need to get a phone. You know, I can't can't have you doing stuff in the next few days if I can't get hold of you. You need to get my mobile phone. And he literally turned around to me dead, deadpan and went, how do I get a phone? <laughs> and I actually had to march him down. You know, my, I've got an office uh, in, in centre of London. I had to march him down to a phone shop and we had to stand there while I said, this is how you purchase a mobile phone. It was just insane. I'm also guessing you get a lot of how do I make a cup of tea or coffee? <laughs> yeah, I had. Oh, I did have one where um, I had how do, how do you open a Word document on a computer? Oh. I, was, I was telling him to like... How di- to click a mouse. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. So I was, I was telling him how to... I wanted him to write some notes while I was on the phone to him. I said, right, open up a Word. To get your laptop on and open up a Word document. And he actually turned around and said, how do I open up a Word document? <laughs> I mean, it's insane. But the problem is someone's always done it for them. And I'm, you know, part of my job is, well, you, you do this and you, tr- you try it, try and do it, and then come back to me if you can't. Because, of course, you, no, no, you're never going to do something if someone else can do it for you. I wouldn't make a tea if someone's make a cup of tea if someone can make it for me. I'm guessing that as a woman agent, maybe some of these male footballers ask you things that they would be too embarrassed to ask a male football agent, a bit like they need you to hold their hand a bit. Bless them. Well, All I right. get my girlfriend for Christmas. <laughs> lots, lots of those. I bought lots of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get It. There's only one of us. All right, let's head over to Sean Thorne for our Twitter topic of the week. Twitter topic of the week. In Twitter Topic of the Week this week, uh, we've been asking you about footballers and adverts. So uh, players that you think should be advertising certain products or just past adverts which have made you either laugh or cringe. Uh, Loads of quality ones uh, this week. Chris has been on. He's saying this is a bit cheating, but he'd give a lot for a remake of the Nike 02 cage ad uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, Alexis and co. I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happened. I think that'd be an awesome advert. So Barry sent over a terrifying Martin Skirtle based cereal, um, where it's just Martin Skirtle eating a bowl of nails. Slogans put lead in your pencil with Skirtle's breakfast nails. Terrifying scenes. 25 Sean points to Aidan Linning because this is an absolute belter of a shout. Um, he's come up with an entire concept for this ad and everything. Uh, he thinks Mario Balotelli should be advertising Argus. Uh, the whole premise of the advert is that his mum should send him out to buy an iron and then he comes back with like a trampoline and a lorry full of fun stuff. I think that's wicked. I send that over to the Argus marketing team. They'll lap that right up. You know, needing something dull and dependable, but coming back with something flash and exciting. Bit like Arsene Wenger's transfer policy. Uh, Drags has gone for Luis Suarez, advertising Colgate toothpaste, keeping teeth clean, white and strong. So Bohemians sent us one over from Puma, where they flash mob a really unimpressed looking Dortmund squad after they've just been dumped out of the Champions League final. Definitely go and check that out. Hashtag Twitter Topic of the Week. It is massively cringeworthy. Cheers to everyone who got in touch this week, as always. Uh, I've been Sean Fawn. I will hand you back to the girls. Thanks very much, Sean. Very funny footballers and adverts. What a winning combination. Let's move on to topic number three. He's got the whole world in his hands. I must have been feeling a bit religious when I wrote that title. News last week then that David Ginella is teaming up with bookmaker Paddy Power 
to launch a bid to challenge FIFA president Sepp Blatter when the elections take place in May. Jo Tong in front of us is, is already shaking her head in disapproval. So uh, forget about what, what you think of this and whether it's genuine or not. If you were going to be made FIFA president, Jo, what would you bring in? OK, if I'm Sepp Blatter, I'm employing David Ginola as my right-hand man because we are right on a level... Um, Absolutely on level. I think Seth Blatter's just looking at him going, go on, son, exactly. You know exactly. You take money for stupid things. Yep, we'll, we'll do that. Um, personally, I've got one thing, bring back black boots. Yes. All footballers should yes. wear black boots. That's all, like I, that's all I need. Back to basics. Because it actually, you remember when you were at school, school uniforms, the best schools were schools where you weren't allowed to veer from your school uniform. Yeah. It's the same with clubs. If you turn up and you just look, if you're wearing bright, luminous pink Puma boots or, you know, whichever, whichever brand you're in, but you're, you're wearing red and black stripes for Sunderland or something, that clash. to me is a, is a big clash. <laughs> big clash. Well, I want to get on my soapbox. I'm going to start with the point that I'm desperate to make. So if there is any cutting out going on, then keep this one in, please. Um, I want it to be compulsory that if you are a certain age group, I'm talking about young players, that you have to represent your country at that age group. So if you're under 21, if you're under 19, none of this nonsense about like we're having at the moment about Raheem Sterling not playing for the under 21s and focusing on the senior squad because he's had a taste of it and that's what he wants to do from now on. No. And I'll tell you why. Because if you look at the successful nations who have won competitions around the world, your Spains, your Germanys, they have all experienced success at winning at under 21, under 19 level. You need that, in that experience of success at that level to know what it feels like, to know what it's like to win a tournament, to know what it's like to play alongside players and have to go together and actually experience defeat and experience disappointment as well. And so we're too quick, I think, in England to want to promote our youngsters to the first team. But I think that should be applied worldwide. And that if I was FIFA president, it would be compulsory. It's a bit like the want of many parents, isn't it? Trying to advance their children beyond their school years, always trying to overachieve, trying trying to prove a point. Um, good point from you, Lindsay Hooper. Um, here's one from me. Wouldn't it be a novel idea if there were no allegations of corruption surrounding FIFA? Wouldn't it be brilliant if it was just run by a normal person, a northerner perhaps, a good, honest northerner, <laughs> someone from Southern, Rotherham? Southerners are honest as well. <laughs> Us southerners can be honest as well. I'm thinking about a staunch northern do not mess with me, Barnsley man, perhaps. Get him in to run FIFA. I don't know who he is. I don't know where we're going to get him from. We're probably going to have to cycle off to a Hovis factory to find him. Get him in. We want someone who is honest as the day is long. None of the allegations, please. None of the FIFA ex-co who have all got very exotic names like Jerome de Champagne, uh, like the guy who was president before Sepp Blatter, Jose Havelange. <laughs> Set Blatter, that's a bit of an odd name as well. No, yes, exactly. We want a John Brown. We want a John Briggs, a John Brown, a you know, decent, honest northern man in charge, please. Or, how about this for really novel, a decent, honest northern woman. Would we have this many problems if there was a woman in charge? Never. No! Uh, so, for just something completely different, I'd like a good, straight-up, honest organisation. For something a little bit comical, um, you know how Seth Blatter said that women should wear tighter shorts when they play football? I'd like to see the whole of the FIFA Exco and Seth Blatter. The, the Exco is the 
executive committee. So the, these these are the pillars of FIFA. These these are the men who uh, who who feed into Sepp Blatter. I'd like to see them turn up for their next Congress in small tight shorts. Well, I can go on and on and on and on and on. Um, I want to cap international pre-season trips. So at the moment, we're hearing from players up and down the Premier League and leagues abroad saying they're tired. I'm too tired to play football. Um, They need a rest. Four games within seven days, too much. No, it's not. But when you do have your off-season and you come to the end of the current season, then you need to not be whisked off by your clubs around the world, visiting Asia, visiting America, to go and get a paycheck, because that's what it's all about. It's all about money. So I think that should be limited. There should be a cap on it across the board for all clubs that... In a non-tournament year, maybe you can increase to two trips, but if it's a tournament year, you can only do one. Um, Also, I think there should be a new linesman course because I think they're atrocious. I think people need refreshing on the offside rule which is funny because that's what this podcast is called, of course. I think you should set up a new linesman course because I don't think it's a difficult job. Now, I'm not saying that I could referee. I couldn't. But I could lines. I could run the line. All you need to do is keep in line with the last defender. And then when the ball's played, as we know, if the attacker is in advance of the last defender, then put your flag up. So many times we see this decision go wrong. And I'm fed up this season of people not being able to do it. Um, Handball is handball. Why can't handball just be handball? If you're in the penalty area, none of this ball to hand business. If your hand is in the way and it strikes your hand, then it's handball and it's a penalty. I also think that applies to offside. If you're offside, you're offside. None of this if you're not interfering with play business. Just let's simplify the rules of the game. Let's change the laws of the games back to the tradition across the board. Um, Kate will say, trying to wrap me up, but I'm going to say tackles as well. Oh, my God. Tackles, if you've got a clean tackle and you get the ball, as long as both sets of studs aren't showing and it isn't dangerous from behind, then it's fine. And we need more incentives as well for players who stay on their feet. So another little pet peeve of mine is when a player does stay on their feet under duress of a challenge that maybe was too fierce and then the offender gets away with it because you've let play continue, go back, book them. Arthur's also getting very upset by this list created by Lindsay Hooper. She's clearly had that on her phone for quite a few months, Joe, isn't she? A final one. <laughs> a final one from you, Joe. Actually, mine just picks up on quite a few of Lynn's in that I, I would not have all this uh, video replays for decisions. I can't have football turning into rugby where we stop every 30 seconds. In, you know, 20 years ago, football was a continuous flowing game. If it was a tackle, you blew up, it was a free kick. It's, I can't have the game stopping, oh, let's, let's refer it to a video ref. Just to have a strong referee, a strong lino who can make a decision. None of these um, soft penalty decisions, none of these soft handball decisions, none of these soft free kick decisions. Just make a decision, but only stop play when it's actually a bad tackle. And also, if, you do, if we do have video refereeing, it wipes out the need for programmes like 606 and we'll all be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if players stay on their feet, the game can continue. You can carry on playing, surely. It's a novel idea, isn't it? Maybe one day. Thank you very much, ladies. It's been a very entertaining podcast. Lindsay Hooper currently uh, bouncing up and down with a baby in her hand. And uh, Joe Tug as well. Thanks very much for joining us, Joe. And I hope you've enjoyed your maiden appearance on The Offside Rule. Very much so. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, folks. And we'll see you soon. Yes! The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Sports Social Podcast Network.